and welcome to a late night edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. My name is Grant McGalliard, and I have alongside me on this bye week my co-host Parker Fleming. Parker, how you doing? Uh, you know, I'm I'm doing all right. We're doing a little Purple Theory after dark. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess it's like two hours later than we normally go, but uh, life happens to us. But no, I'm I'm doing well. I got the uh, the dog in the background. So if this were a live stream, uh, everyone would see my dog just staring at me wondering, what are you doing with your life and what are you doing in this moment exactly? Yeah, why are you wearing a headset yammering on about numbers? Uh, Yeah, I got to tell you, it's really livening up this podcast. This is the best view I've had in weeks. Uh, Parker, we are on a bye week. What are we going to talk about this week? Because I know you have a new new number you're willing to throw at us, which is always exciting. And then we're going to do strengths and weaknesses uh, of TCU. Um, but, But do you want to start with a number? What do you have for us? I do want to start with an Can I say, I don't want this to be the bi-week lamentation. I want to do everything in my power to make this a, you know, an objective, a, 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 just, just a, just a state of things podcast. So, um, do, do keep me on that. If I get too negative, man, hit the, uh, hit the eject button, pull me back. So. And same. Yeah. Do the same to me. I, I want this to be an objective look. Uh, this is, I mean, I think coaches will tell you this this is the time to reevaluate the time to kind of hammer on the fundamentals, get back to, you know, you, you do a lot of tackling drills during the bye week, uh, you know, really, really kind of hone in on, on what makes a program a program. So, so that's what we're going to do here. Uh, I'm going to wrap up Parker, uh, good form tackle, take him to the ground. Uh, so, so that's kind of the plan for tonight. That's good. I'm going to, I'm practicing my coffin corner kicks. So um, I, I will just you know say, who, you know, who, you know, who doesn't need that Jordy Sandy who had a great game against Kansas State on Saturday. <laughs> He did. Uh, I wish that he was not, uh, yeah, I wish he wasn't as important as he was, but I'm very glad that he's doing well. Um, CCU did, did pretty well with some field position there. Um, I will say, Grant, I do have Coastal Carolina and Louisiana on in the background because I do have the over and it's getting dicey. So uh, I'll, I'll do my best to not be distracted by that. But yeah, let's talk about, can we do, am I allowed to introduce, explain it to an idiot? I feel like that's condescending if I, no, if I say, no, Grant, no, 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 no. let me explain this I'm, to you like you're an idiot. <laughs> I'm very comfortable with who I am. It's taken me a long time to get to that point, but no, I, I know who I am. Uh, explain this to me. What's it called and, and what does it do? So today I was messing around with something uh, called success rate over expectation. Um, and so expected stats are kind of my jam. If you uh, have followed my work or our podcast at all and kind of saying like, hey, relative to context, how well did you do? That's kind of the bedrock of expected points added EPA, the stat we like so much. Um, saying like, hey, how, you know, how, how well did you improve your situation um, from, from down to down? I, I kind of took that a different route. And what I did is I said for every single uh, college football team, I'm basically just taking a conditional average and saying based on down distance yard line and, and time left in the game, uh, and not even time left in the game, I just did period, but that's you know empirical details we can get to later. I'm just saying, how, how, what's the average success rate? And then how much better or worse are you on that? And so what I did is I plotted those kind of uh, X and Y just because scatter plots are a really great way to visualize two-dimensional data. Yes. For the uninitiated, and as a reminder, define a success one more time for running a pass. Yeah, so uh, an ex- a success is is not conditional on run and pass, and I didn't include running and passing in the model because it is some element of like the choice. If you're going to choose to pass in passing situations, you're going to be more successful. Um, but so a success is is defined by our friend Bill Conley, like most things in, in sports analytics right now. And I have done everything I can do to improve that definition, and I cannot do anything to improve that definition. So um, it is 50% of yards to go on first down, 70% of yards to go on second down, and 100% of yards to go on third and fourth down. So those are the thresholds for the binary success or or not success. Um, And I I threw out plays in the red zone. um, And and, uh, other than that, it was pretty standard. Uh, I threw out the triple gotcha. teams when I, when I, I threw out the triple option teams when I like calibrated my model because I knew that would throw it off. Cause they're just kind of playing a different game. So mm. uh, I left coastal in there because they're like not actually triple. You start to get like weird, but I just threw the academies out right. and through, I threw Mississippi state out um, and then calculated it. And so I have, I have the, the, the big 12 um, expected success rate or success rate over expectation for the year. And so I think that's actually a pretty interesting team. So again, like I, like I always like to do, let's do this twice. Let's do big 12 teams and you tell me how it stacks up on offense. And then I want to do TCU's uh, history, whether it stacks up. Okay. Or not. So big 12 teams, success rate over expectation. 
Number one, Iowa State. Number two, Texas. Number three, Oklahoma. Number four, Texas Tech. Number five, TCU is at plus 1.2 percentage points. So they are 1.2 percentage points more successful on average than, than a, a relative team or a regular team. Uh, Oklahoma State is minus 2.3. Kansas is at number seven, minus 3.9. Uh, Kansas State is minus 5.1. West Virginia is minus 7.6. And Baylor is minus 8.8 percentage points. Uh, under expectation, uh, which is the second worst in the FBS ahead of only Syracuse, which realistically is not that um, impressive of an accomplishment. Because I, I believe that you and I and, and, and nine of our friends could go put out an offense comparable to, if not better than, what Syracuse is putting on the field right now. Which is a real shame because they have a really fun quarterback. Isn't Tommy DeVito uh, the guy behind center there still? Or, uh, I, I, you oh, know, he's got some crazy name uh, that sounds like, like he should be eating like a chicken parm. I do believe uh, Tommy center. DeVito is the guy who calls into the Philadelphia local radio station every Tuesday morning and yells and has a recurring <laughs> segment. And he also plays quarterback for Syracuse. Yeah, it's Tommy DeVito. It's Tommy DeVito and uh, Rex Culpepper is the backup. Dude, Rex so, Culpepper has some locks. Rex, Rex Culpepper is like sunshine from, uh, remember the Titans? Yeah. He, he came yeah. in and that was awesome. Against, against Pitt, uh, man, we're, we're down a rabbit hole. Against Pitt this year, he came in and uh, they were like, I think his mom had cancer or he had cancer. There was cancer involved. Um, and they were telling the story about cancer. And before they could even finish this like, you know, highlight reel about this like not like this sad story about this backup and how big of a how big of a deal it was that he was playing. He throws a touchdown on like his first pass. It was awesome. And then he was Hell terrible yeah. the rest of the game. But he threw a pass. Well, I was like, oh, sunshine came in. This is gonna be great. Um, so yeah, Rex Culpepper's uh, a great Okay. Man. Well, okay. Listen, I, I, just for the sake of accuracy, and I promise you, this is the last time we're gonna talk about Syracuse. Tommy DeVito's out. Culpepper's probably not gonna get the snap. And it's either gonna be Dylan Markovich or David Summers. So if you, in case you're looking for a uh, Syracuse update, that's what we got. And I just want to make sure we had that accurate in case there are any Orange fans listening to this podcast wanting to yell at me about DeVito and Culpepper starting. So um, Baylor is only better than Syracuse. Yes, is that what Baylor. So, so the range there is Iowa State's plus four. Baylor is minus 8.8. And now that's percentage points, right? That's not percent. Um, but right. so it's just relative magnitude. Like Baylor is two times worse on average than, than uh, Iowa State is. Um, and so I think that's really interesting uh, because it, it matters with this, like how favorable of a position you find yourself in. Um, because so for instance, Baylor is really, really weird. Cause if you, if you look at the scatter plot again, podcast or visual mediums uh, and, and if, if Baylor is in the bottom left corner of the expected versus actual success rate, which means they're not expected to do well and they're not doing well. Like they're consistently finding themselves mm. behind the chains. Whereas Iowa state is uh, expected to do pretty decently and then finding themselves succeeding. Uh, and, and Oklahoma's kind of the same. Oklahoma's consistently in favorable situations and they're doing fine. And so their percent above is going to be low. Okay. So I can buy that top four, right? I can say, okay, Iowa state efficient, very good. Texas and Oklahoma have good offenses, right? The defenses may not be bad, but the offenses are good. And tech is always explosive. And again, we said we weren't going to get negative, but from what I've seen watching three TCU games, how does that square up with what we think and know about the TCU offense versus this number? And, and how do those kind of, I guess, how do you justify that, counselor? I mean, how, so how is TCU above average? We're going to talk about this, but TCU's problem is not moving the ball. TCU's problem is moving the ball into the end zone. Um, TCU is, you know, relatively to the rest of their problems on offense, they're 42nd in success rate in the, on the nation. Uh, Grant, they have a positive average EPA, which they have not had for the last two seasons. Um, hmm. So on average, uh, their, their EPA per play is plus, plus 0 0.14. And so that just means, you know, slightly positive. But on average, they're successful enough to kind of improve their position. Um, and so TCU being in the top four there – uh, they're about middle of the pack in terms of good or bad situations. And so they're really not, not an outlier in terms of extremely falling behind the chains or extremely being ahead of the chains. And they're just doing fine. And so that, that's what gives them that plus 1.2. You know, that's, that's, that's basically zero. That's just saying, hey, you're doing a little bit better than we expected, but about as we expected based on your situation. So the Jerry Kale hire was just a complete success is what, is what I'm hearing. 
Well, don't get me started about expected run rates. I need okay, to go back right, and that's I need talking. to go back anyway, and do some more on that. Right. So I won't talk about that tonight. But, 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 but I'll tell you what I'm surprised about there is how low Oklahoma State is. Um, I know they're not the complete shoot 'em up Cowboys that they have been in the past, but they're a good team, and the fact that they're lower than average there is is surprising to me. So one, I think uh, that, that's a that's a good idea when we're talking about like um, that's a good thought when we're talking about like comparing our expectations to reality and kind of the eye test. You have to remember though, Oklahoma State has been like real bad against Tulsa and and pretty bad against West Virginia. Um, and yeah. so that, that, that's two of their three games where they just haven't been very good. Um, and so I, I think that's really what it is, is like that, that perception is weighed down by the reality of the fact that they just haven't moved the ball well. And some of that's injury. Like obviously I can't account for Spencer Sanders going out. Um, but in the same way, I can't account for them racking up a ton of successes against Kansas um, and being given credit for that. So it, it, it well, kind of comes out in the Kansas. wash a little bit, but yeah. Well, and, and can't, so I, I, this is completely odd test and I'm sure the numbers are, I mean, I'm not doubting your math, but you know, Kansas State moved the ball well against Oklahoma. Oklahoma's a bad defense, so that makes sense. And TCU completely stymied them, uh, mostly. I mean, they, really, they scored 14 points on offense. But the fact that they're so low is, is interesting to me as well. Well, I think if you go back and look at actually uh, Kansas State in their success rate, uh, looking this up as just as we go, they're actually like – so they're – they're 35.2 success rate, which is 70, 70th out of 76 teams that have played so far. Nice. Um, and, but their explosiveness is fourth. So uh, okay. it's That'll not that it. they're moving the ball well, right? It's, well, they, they are, but it's not that they're moving the ball consistently or sustainably. It just means they have a really dynamic player and they played some teams who are really bad at tackling. Well, and that lines up to what we said going into the Kansas State preview, which is that, look, they're going to have some, some struggles, but also, like, Deuce Vaughn is just going to rattle off big plays. Like, yeah. it's just going to happen. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So are, are you using this number as a – I hate to use this term like, – like a predictive thing, or, or what's kind of your aim with this, with this number? So I, I generally don't know yet. This was kind of ad hoc this morning. I saw something that made me think of it, so I, I did this. Um, but I, I think one, this is, I, I'm, I'm more interested categorically in kind of diagnostic rather than prognostic, uh, measures. Right. And so I, I do want to know what's, what's sustainable going forward, but I kind of look at that backwards and say, given what you did, what do I think is the most important aspect of that? And so I think the success rate could be a really, really success rate over expected could be a really, really interesting way to say, given the context that you found yourself in, how did you perform? which might give me a little bit more information than just a, a raw success rate, which is going to include a lot of variation and uh, uh, around it. So. Okay. Okay. So does that, does running those numbers change your, you have a better understanding of them than I do. do does running those numbers change your opinion of any team in the big 12? I, I knew Baylor was having trouble. I'd seen that they were calling they were calling for the benching of Charlie Brewer, which seems crazy to me. Superstar, Shehan J. Raja, noted uh, superstar, Charlie Brewer. To be fair, I, I, I like Charlie Brewer. Um, he, he chose a bad school to go to, and his shoulder is like out of his socket permanently. But other than that, I think he's a fine quarterback. So, um, yeah, so I think Baylor was worse than I thought. And, I, you know, Kansas seventh, that doesn't mean a lot to me. Uh, other than the fact that, like, I thought West Virginia would be better, and they're actually finding mm -hmm. themselves behind the chains pretty often, and they're 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 doing poor poorly relatively. So, um, mm -hmm. those two were kind of interesting to me. I think I was riding the Jarrett Deggy train for a little bit at the beginning of the season, but uh, I, I think I've cooled substantially on West Virginia just because they're not moving the ball very well. They're behind the chains often. They're not making up for it with explosiveness. So that, that's kind of the two that, that changed my mind. Uh, again, the top four, like Texas Tech being up there, sure, doesn't really, really matter to me. But, you know, yeah, the top, the top four or five They'll makes do that. sense. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, talking about West Virginia, it's, it's weird to me that the coaches that came in during that cycle, of those coaches, it's the most, no offense to Chris Kleiman, the most boring one that is having success. Right. And we should have predicted that. I mean, Kleiman was a championship guy at North Dakota State, came in, 
runs an offense that isn't the same, but, but it has a lot of the same principles as Bill Snyder ran at, uh, at Kansas State for forever. And he's just basically continued winning at a steady pace, you know, not going to blow the doors off anybody, but winning. Whereas, you know, uh, Matt Wells at Texas Tech, Neil Brown at, at West Virginia, everyone was high on Neil Brown. We were very high on Neil Brown. And it's just taken them a while to adjust. I think in retrospect, we probably should have predicted that, that it would take some time for them to build a program. Um, but it is funny looking back, be like, oh, wow, with Neil Brown there, Lord knows what the Mountaineers could do. Whereas we all probably should have said, hey, Chris Kleiman is a proven winner at a program with a really stable foundation, and he's probably just going to continue winning. Okay, my, my whole thing about this is I agree. I absolutely agree. Who's going to do the overcorrect FCS hire? Like, inevitably, it's going yeah. to happen. And, like, it's not going to be USC hires Cal Poly's coach, right? Like, I want it to right. be that. But realistically, I feel like somebody is going to get too ambitious in this. And because, like, Lance Leipold at Buffalo came up from D3 mm-hmm. Revision Whitewater. It's like, that's great. But, I mean, you know, Texas is not going to hire Mary Harden Baylor's coach next cycle. Um, right. So I'm, I'm just wondering who realistically makes that kind of hire that is well, – that's too much because I think we've learned about Chris Kleiman and saying like, Hey, an FCS guy can win at FBS, but I don't know. Yeah. It's the one guy that came to mind just because my mom uh, is an alma mater uh, or it's her alma mater. Shout out to Sam Houston state Bearcats. Uh, They have a really good program. Casey Keeler wanted a, uh, a national championship at Delaware. um, And then it's kind of kept it going at Sam Houston state to been a really good team, but he's also 61. So, yeah, like, I doubt yeah. he'd be the guy. I'm trying to think of, like, other really, really good FCS coaches. Um, man, I don't know. Yeah, because, like, I feel That's like Bob, really- Bob Stitt was, like, the biggest name to potentially do it. And he just, like, hasn't been able to move a program. You know, he was at – he kind of, right. like, made a bunch of spread offense stuff, originated it. He was at Montana. He was at Colorado School of Mines. But he just never was good enough running a program. So, right. Well, I mean, I mean, hell, Matt Entz took over for climbing and won a title anyway. I didn't know what could have stayed. I'm sure he'd be up there. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, what what school would be most likely to hire a coach like that? Like I said, USC probably wouldn't hire a Cal Poly's guy, but, like, there's got to be some desperate. Well, well so, like, I think, I think Charlotte hiring uh, Will Healy is probably, like, the biggest yes. leap. Yes, yes. Um, and then, and then from there, I think I, I, I just can't, I just can't imagine who's going to be like the combination of like stupid and desperate enough to do, to just hire someone really, really dumb. But I know, you know it's who coming. should do it. You know who should do it is Rutgers. It's just like, dude, you know what? Take the best FCS coach we can get and just try to do something weird. I mean, it ain't working what they're doing now. You know, you might as well just get someone different. I mean. Like, hey, could you come in and get us a bunch of, you know, three stars who are, who are actually rated as two stars? Yeah. yeah like, look, I mean, and it's well, Big Ten, so they might not succeed. It might take a G5 team to do it, but if there's a P5 team, like, this guy's at the bottom of the barrel, might as well just take a stab in the dark. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think uh, James, uh, the James Madison coach went to ECU, I believe, but they're, they're real bad, uh, so that's not working Yes, out Mike Houston. Yep, that's correct. Yep. Uh, I'm trying to uh, Craig Bull went from North Dakota State to Wyoming before Kleinman went to uh, Kansas State. Um, I'm looking back at old FCS championship winners is all I'm doing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, that's a really, really good question. I, like, I, personally, I think more G5 teams should do that instead of just taking like random Power 5 assistants and just plugging them into coaching spots. But how do I, how do I talk about Charlie Strong guy. every damn episode of this podcast? But Charlie Strong is the defensive play, cor- play caller at Alabama right now. He's going to get an American job next, like, next season. Absolutely. I mean, the next American job Which, that comes up, he's going to take. And it's like, okay, that's fine. But also, you could, you could do something more interesting with potentially no worse results. Also, don't schedule Ole Miss if you're that uh, American team, based on what Charlie did uh, last week. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, I, I think that's super interesting. Wait, to, um, be, to be fair, I thought Charlie took over. This is neither here nor there. Oh, took over this week? Yes, I think this is brand new. Oh, that's yeah. my bad. That's yeah. my bad. My bad. My bad. My bad. Well, also, Nick Saban has COVID, so who knows what's going on now? Man, do we do we do we want to take like a two minute COVID talk and just say, "Wow, this sucks," and I hate it. Like, Can Baylor I- has COVID. Can I, give a con- can I give a contrary and take, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, well, actually, I'm not going to galaxy brain. Um, I'll just say 
the the problem with like evaluating whether doing college football was good with all of these cases is like the counterfactual is not that no one gets the disease, right? Like you kind of have this idea, this, this, this phenomenon where you have this group of people that otherwise wouldn't be a group and they are getting, getting COVID. And that's kind of, it's easier to like point that out relative to all, you know, 18 to 22 year olds or like 45 to 65 year olds or, or whatever age demographic, because they're all affiliated with college football. So I think one, it's important to say like, it is very good that they are testing enough to catch it, that they are catching it. You know, it wasn't like Nick Saban came into the office and was coughing and someone was like, hey, Nick, what's going on? It's like he, he tested positive. So he's like, okay, I'm going to, you know, isolate. I'm going to take precautions and do all that. So it is, it, it, it's, it's tragic that people are getting it. It's an unfortunate reality of our situation. Um, there, are, there are places that are, that are definitely not handling it as well as other places, but also the- Shout out Dan Mullen. Yeah, shout out Dan Mullen. But, but their, their counterfactuals isn't just like, oh, no one gets it or we play college football and people get it, right? No, and I'm not trying to demonize college football, but I am saying that if you put, you know, 90 dudes in a room together and one of them has COVID, it's easier for the other 89 to get COVID. And I think that's the thing. Yeah, you're right. Some 18 to 22-year-olds would have gotten COVID probably on those teams if they weren't playing college football, but you put them all in a weight room together working out and it's easier for it to spread as we've seen at schools like TCU and Baylor and, you know, all these other schools that are battling it. So, yeah, again, I like college football with all of its stupid, dumb problems. I want it to stick around. It also stinks that coaches like Les Miles and Nick Saban and a bunch of players are getting COVID. Yeah, it, it does. And especially, you know, the coaches that are in the age demographic, given what we know. Again, I'm not a medical person. I, I'm not going to speculate. No, for sure. Saying, like, it just makes me way more worried that, Nick Saban has it rather than a TCU defensive lineman, given, given what we know. You right. Know? I, um, I completely agree. Yeah. So, so, so that's unfortunate. Um, again, I, I, you know, it's, it's messy. We built in bye weeks to the schedule. We knew things were going to get weird. I think it's uh, hopefully people are, um, you know, we're, we're able to minimize the damage and kind of work around the schedule, but it is, it is putting a real, real thing here. Well, um, Grant, let's take this back to football. What if Georgia beats the shit out of Alabama this weekend, but then, Alabama wins every game by 50 going forward. That's how you get two SEC teams in the playoffs again, right? Yeah, you play the SEC championship game. Let's say Bama beats Georgia. Great. All right. You have two one-loss SEC teams with and they split. Uh, Alabama beating Georgia. And they split. Exactly. And then the Big Ten doesn't have the resume needed. Pac-12 team dunking in. Big 12 eats itself. Yeah. You just get Alabama and Georgia and Clemson and whoever for the Big Ten in the playoff again. I could see a world. I I, I thought about this the other night before I was going to bed. Uh, this is this is family friendly. Uh, I could see a world where you get Notre Dame, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia. I, I could too. I, I'm not saying it's probable. I'm just saying that's a real no. thing. No. Well, the, the only thing I'll say is that I, I think Clemson is like going to get in, right? So I, I think if they does Clemson play Notre Dame on the schedule? I can't remember. I, yes. I, here, first week okay, of November. First week of November. Okay, so Clemson wins that game. Let's say they play the ACC title game, and I Clemson think they're in the, again. I think they're in the same division. Which okay. Is part of my, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, then I then I think Clemson wins the ACC title, and then Notre Dame just doesn't get in. I agree with that. I need Coastal to miss this freaking field goal. <sighs> I wait. No, I thought you had the over. No, I'll explain. Son of a gun, he made it. There's four seconds left. No, so there's, there's, there's seven seconds left, and it's 27-27. Uh, I, I have over 57. You needed, so you needed overtime. I'm at 57 right now, so I need something crazy. If he missed that, I would go to overtime. Hopefully, they both score. So right now, I'm at 57, so I'm losing. Um, yeah, so no, no. I, yeah, spiraling. <laughs> my wife goes out of town for one week, and I, you know, uh, I bet all of like $5 on this game. Uh, yeah, so I, I could see any number of playoff things. I think I think the COVID stuff is is um, is just a, a, an unfortunate wrinkle. Uh, it could create some weirdness like that Alabama moving. But I, again, obviously, first and foremost, I, I care about the health of student athletes and the sure. staff. So that's all second order concerns. Um, I will say, uh, Baylor. <sighs> I don't even know what I want to say about this. Don't, don't, just don't this is good. bother. This is probably good. Don't I just Don't bother. There, there's a lot of PR, and that's not lining up with the reality I, of what I, happened. Them giving out their numbers is a good thing. I will say that. Uh, hey, since we're talking about uh, 
to the Big 12 and kind of the national scheme. Do you want to kind of take a, a little bit of a snapshot of the Big 12? I, I know you gave those stats um, in, in terms of success rate for the conference, but I kind of want to evaluate where we are uh, with the Big 12 uh, as we hit this bye week. The Baylor-Oklahoma State game got canceled, and the only other two teams are postponed. And the only other two teams that are playing are West Virginia and, and Kansas, which should not have an impact on the conference at all. So, Parker, I'll, I'll ask you this, because I think I'm still trying to pick between two teams for my answer. Who's the best team in the Big 12 right now? It's Oklahoma. I, okay. okay. Oklahoma is the best team. They are the most talented. They have the best scheme. They have had some poor results, but – if I just – and, again, football is played on uh, graphs. It is played every play. All 70 plays a game count. I could take four plays away from Oklahoma's season, and they would be ranked number three right now. And we would right. be talking about how amazing Lincoln Riley is, that Spencer Rattler is crazy, this amazing – Spencer Rattler had two tipped interceptions versus Kansas State. Um he, he had two drops against Iowa State, like, like receivers drop passes against Iowa State that would have won him the game. And you can apply this level of nuance to everyone. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying Oklahoma is a very, very, very good football team. They had some unfortunate results. But I, I think if you ask me tomorrow, if we're going ladder match, right, who are you picking in the Big 12, all else equal, like everything starts from zero tomorrow, I'm still picking Oklahoma to win this conference. Okay, I, I think I okay. I think I agree with you that Oklahoma is the best team in the conference. If I were to ask you who was going to win the Big Twelve, does is that a different answer? Yes. Okay, because uh, I think it's Iowa State. I think I think it is, and uh, because here's 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 Iowa State's remaining schedule. That's good. Okay, so at Oklahoma State, at Oklahoma State, right? That's a tough game. At Kansas, win versus Baylor, win. Versus Kansas State, be tough. At Texas, okay, maybe Texas turn it around by then. Who knows? Probably not. And then versus West Virginia. So they have, we'll call it one loss left on the schedule if you're going to put some games as toss-ups. And so, they're undefeated in the conference right now. I think so. I think that's, I think that's a favorable split. I think you have to factor in the fact that um, Skylar Thompson's out and that Kansas State's offense was already really, really bad and really reliant on big plays before Skylar Thompson went out and then he went out and now they have a freshman quarterback and they're still relying right, on big right. plays. So, so call that a win. And the toss-ups are at Texas and uh, at Oklahoma State. So everybody has two losses except Kansas State and Kansas – or Kansas State and Iowa State. And Oklahoma State. So and Oklahoma State. I, I actually think Oklahoma State gets Spencer Sanders back. Uh, the reason I would say Iowa State over Oklahoma State is that – Iowa State has already played Texas and uh, Oklahoma and TCU and beaten them, yep. um, and so they they have they have two of the you know candidates for better uh, late season like potential late season losses out that Oklahoma State still has to play. Oklahoma State also still West has to play Texas, Oklahoma, uh, TCU. Yep. yep. Also, West Virginia and Baylor only have one loss in the conference, but I don't count those teams as contenders at this point. So, yeah, I get, I get what you mean. No, uh, I think, I Baylor, think be, Baylor and West Virginia – Baylor might be very bad. West Virginia might be bad. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're bad. Um, so, I, 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 think it's, I think it's Iowa State. And, dude, Oklahoma could just reel off, like, what, six wins and just end the season pretty easily at seven and two. You know, miss the playoff, but spoil Iowa State's bid the Big Twelve title game. But I, I think it'll be Iowa State, Oklahoma, if I had to pick right now. Yeah, well, that, that's a lot of faith that Iowa State would get in the playoff with the loss to Louisiana. Uh, you know, well, uh, no, uh, you know what I mean. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, just, I, no, I, I, I don't. I think was going to say, I, I was going to say, 2014, uh, Ohio State lost uh, by two scores at home to Virginia Tech, who lost to FCS James Madison that year, and they were granted grace. So I'm sure Iowa State will be afforded the same grace that Ohio State was in 2014 and they'll make the playoff. Are you trying to make a point here, Parker? Nope. I'm just saying the playoff committee okay. is consistent okay. and uh, they, they really care about college football and not about fan bases and, and clicks. So. Which is why the North Carolina Tar Heels are going to get a playoff for it this year. Um, okay. Hey, is there Sam, anything Sam Howe looked really good against Virginia Tech. Sam Howe was really... Secondary. You didn't let me finish. You walked into it. 
Ah, shit. Uh, is there anything in the Big 12 that has surprised you so far? I think Kansas State's consistency. Outside of TCU. Yeah, I think Kansas State's consistency is something that no one could have seen coming. Mm -hmm. Just their even-handedness, like, is uh, better than anyone could have seen. Um, I think I'm not surprised by Texas. Uh, I'm not surprised by Texas Tech or Kansas. Um, And and so, realistically, I'm only surprised by Oklahoma State and – or, sorry, Kansas State and Oklahoma, just given we don't have a ton of information about a couple teams there. They're saying, like – and I thought Oklahoma would stumble. I didn't. I didn't realize they would. They would take this long to kind of find their gears and and give up two games against good defenses. Um, so yeah, I, I think I'm not surprised by Iowa State. They're they're kind of there by attrition. And don't hear me saying they're not good. They they are good. I'm just saying that they're there. They beat Oklahoma as Oklahoma was stumbling to get there. Everyone else has struggled or has a fatal flaw. And Iowa State has a fatal flaw. They just one got to play TCU in their first game and. Uh, Two, they they beat Oklahoma as Matt Campbell is is wont to do. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I I will say that. So I'm actually not surprised by Oklahoma as much, just because the two teams that I'm never surprised when Oklahoma loses to are Iowa State and Kansas State, because they basically refuse to play Oklahoma's game, right? And they kind of play their own game, play discipline, and eventually that'll just get to Oklahoma. I'm not necessarily surprised by that. I am surprised by Texas, and not that they're one and two, but that how listless that team looks. Uh, listen, we talked Sunday about Sam Ellinger. I, I, I don't necessarily like him, but I respect him. He is the only dude on that team that really, really seems to, I hate to say be giving it its all because I never put a question effort, but, but he's the only guy on that team that, that is reliable. And the fact that Tom Herman in his, what, fourth year with the Longhorns can't seem to find – you know, 22 reliable guys to play is extremely surprising. And I just really thought they'd be better in terms of consistency and toughness than they are right now. It, it's really, really surprising to me. Um, again, not necessarily the record, just the way they've looked in those games that they've lost. And even the game that they won against Texas Tech, um, just kind of relying on Ellinger to do everything is, is jarring with, with all the talent on that roster. Yeah, absolutely. It feels a lot like TCU last year where it was like, hey, we're going we're gonna to succeed in spite of our offense uh, because of our quarterback running, you know, running for his life and, and figuring it out. Yeah. Right. But like senior Sam Ellinger is better than freshman Max Duggan, right? So like it looks better on his part, but, but just, I don't know. It's just, it's strange to me watching a bunch of four and five stars struggle as much as they are uh, just because talent means so much. It's, I don't know. It's just really weird. That's been the biggest surprise to me. Um. And, and again, I, I was low on Brock Purdy, and I was kind of low on Iowa State, but here they are. So, um, okay, do, do you want to? Is there anything else you want to talk about before we start breaking down TCU? I don't. I don't think so. I think I'm there with the entire Big Twelve. I think I'm fine with kind of um, our our surprises or lack thereof. Again, we don't have a ton of information. You know, uh, some teams have only played two games, um, and so. Uh, it is an interesting point to have a bye week for TCU. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think this is a good a time as any to talk about them. All right, great. Well, first off, let, let's hit with the big news of the day. Uh, Steve Avila, Rivington, uh, Rivington watch list. You know, one of the top 90 centers in the country. So we have that going for us. Yeah, um, which, which means they're clearly going to the two deep because only 76 people have played so far. So <laughs> it was weird. Uh, I got an email today that said, hey, congratulations, you're on the Remington Award watch list. <laughs> I thought I hadn't played center since 2009, but thanks, guys. <laughs> Appreciate it. If, if, if your name was Esteban, Esteban's an awesome name. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I would I, not I, go I would by Steve. Fun. No, I think that's no, what you're getting at. St- Steve Avila works at the hardware store. Esteban Avila is like a romance novel hero. Like, Esteban Avila is an awesome name. Um, he wants to go by Steve. I'll call him Steve. I'm just saying Esteban Avila is a really cool name. Um, okay, let's, let's start. Let's see. We like to go negative to positive on this show. So we're going to do strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, the SWAT, as any business major will know. Let's, uh, let's start with the weaknesses. And, again, we're not being negative here. Um, Oh, I'm going to be negative here. We're just going to risk okay. it. Okay, well, well, well for, for, for this segment, I'll, I'll let you lead off, Parker. Talk about TCU's weaknesses. TCU's weaknesses uh, are, are, are twofold. They are um, a, uh, a listlessness akin to a 20-year-old trust fund boy 
um, who, who is a gen studies major and doesn't know what he's doing with his life uh, on offense. And, and on defense, they give up too many big plays. That's it. Those are the two. I, I had the term general malaise uh, on offense, but I, I like the list assist. That, that's really good. Um, I saw I the word, I saw the word feckless. Yes. And I was like, yes, without, without feck. Absolutely. They don't give a feck, I they, would say. They, uh, they, have, they have um, no feck to give. They, they have no feck to give. Uh, and, and offensive line play and defensive line play. I would say in the trenches and then the kind of the general malaise um, in general. Yeah. I, I, I think I, I think I agree with that. So if I'm, if I'm just finding out with some stats, so TCU in, in ISO points per play, which is a rough measure of expected uh, of uh, explosiveness, they're, they're 57th. Um, their average field position is, is 26, which is uh, 26th yard line, which is 68th in the nation. So they're consistently back in a hole, um, not being able to have a lot of short field. I think last week I said that half of TCU's touchdown drives came on short fields. Um, and, and realistically, there's not be giving short fields often, and they haven't shown that they can uh, march the ball 75 yards for a touchdown consistently, which yields in the next stat. Their points per scoring opportunity is 65th out of 76 teams that have played, uh, 3.41. So TCU, on average, when they get a first down inside the opponent's 40 on offense, is averaging 3.41 points. Um, which is just better, barely better than the field goal. And then on the defensive side, uh, their ISO PPP is 73rd out of 76 in the nation, 1.56, which is bewildering because their success rate is uh, 19th overall on defense. So they are the 19th overall defense in preventing efficiency. But when you are successful against TCU, boy, are you successful. Yeah, and that's kind of that break but don't bend defense that we've talked about that that Gary Gary Patterson at TCU has kind of relied on for longer than I think we'd like to admit. I think Trevon Boykin and that offense covered up a lot of big plays uh, without a dynamic quarterback or without an offense to match. I think TCU has kind of been caught out in that regard. I mean, even you know, my mind just kind of went back to the TCU Kansas State game. Uh, I guess after the 2014, so the 2015 game, which was a random shootout in Manhattan. I don't know if you remember that game or not. Kansas oh, State a, did not have a, a great attack. offense. Heart, a complete heart attack. Josh Doxson and Trevon Boykin bailed us out during that game, but like that should have been a sign. Kansas State was not that good of a team that year, didn't have the given offense, if I remember correctly, and was able to keep pace with the Frogs. And it just seems like, you know, I, I don't have the stats on TCU's third down defense, but boy, is it bad. Um, and that sort of vulnerability to big plays is just, I agree, a, a complete weakness. Um, let's let let's be positive here. Let's talk strengths, um, I, and which is weird because I have a lot of them. Uh, wide receivers, I legitimately think the core is good. I think Blair Cronwright has good hands. I think there's a lot of talent there that's being unused. Quentin Johnston is a monster. Uh, linebackers, D. Winters, Garrett Wallow, big fan of, and the entire defensive back and secondary, with the exception of the safeties. Um, they don't know how to run fit, which is very frustrating, and they've shown weaknesses to that. They've, take bad ang- they've taken bad angles on a lot of runs, but I think their pass coverage is unimpeachable. Um, and then I still have quarterback as a strength. I think Max Duggan is only getting better, and, and if, if turned loose, he can be one of the better quarterbacks of the conference. So, so I'm prepared to say some um, uh, uh, extravagant things about TC's wide receiver core. I think it has the potential uh, to be one of their – like it, it might be one of their best units. I kind of half jokingly, but, but also a little bit seriously was like uh, before the season kind of talking myself into, wow, TCU might have better, one of the better receiving cores in the big 12. And you look at, I mean, you look at the weapons they have and the weapons they haven't been able to use. So like pro Wells has five targets on the season, man. Um, Cause he's been hurt and they just haven't been able to get him in the offense when he's been healthy. And so you look at, and even without Pro Wells, but knowing he's there, I mean, Barbara Conright Johnson is as good a one-two-three and as diverse a one-two-three as anyone has in the Big Twelve, perhaps anyone has in the country. Yeah, it, that's without like J.D. Spielman, who's been criminally underused. That's that Darius Davis, who's talented. That's that a lot of guys that that Miguel Barkley, guys like that, that that can show out and have potential. Um, to, to violence Hunt, who was TCU's most yeah. targeted non Jalen Rager receiver last year is, is, is lost his spot on the depth chart. Even so like he's depth now. And, and, and that just speaks to the, to the size of this unit. 
Yeah, the depth got a little bit lighter. Aldontre Davis uh, entered the transfer portal uh, this week, so he is no longer on the roster. But, yes, the depth is extremely good uh, at, at wide receiver. And I agree. I, I'm trying to remember a deeper wide receiver core. Um, we've had groups with one standout guy, maybe two standout guys at the height of the Josh Dawson, Colby Listenby era. That's probably the, the best total talent just because those two guys kind of elevated the entire unit. But yeah, I, as far as depth across, you know, five or six deep, that that's, that's extremely good. I have one for you on strengths that I think um, I, I got some stats. If you'll let me rumble them off. Um, I think Kendry sure. Miller is a strength. Um, and this just pleases, this just warms my heart. Uh, my, my running backs don't matter heart that Kendra Miller, a three-star nobody uh, relative, you know, he's the one that's, that's doing so well. Uh, and not TCU's five-star recruit. Um, 20% of Kendra Miller's carries are gaining five or more yards. He's only been stuffed on 10% of his runs, which is by far the lowest on TCU. Um, yards before carry, he's averaging 3.8. Yards after carry, he's average, or uh, contact, excuse me, he's averaging 2.1. Um, and overall, he's averaging about six yards a carry. He has been targeted um, uh None. So they're not using him in the <laughs> rushing game at all. No, 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 this is, this is, I, I was going to say none. And then I wanted to double check just to make sure he hadn't gotten a drop off or anything. Um, he's, he's been targeted none. And I really like that because they're keeping him in there uh, either to block or to uh, run the ball. And there's been some really interesting times where they've tried to run the speed option with him. And like against Iowa state, the snap was bad. They had 20 personnel against Iowa state and they ran, uh, I think it was DeMarcado and, and Miller and DeMarcado just played fullback and like crashed in the line and Miller popped off for 15 yards. And so there's some really, really interesting offensive possibilities with the skill set that Miller brings. I've been very impressed with him. I think he's absolutely, um, uh, a strength of this offense. I could say the running backs in general, cause they're, they're basically splitting carries. He's just been very impressive. Completely agree. I will also say that uh, we just also haven't seen Zach Evans turn loose in this offense. So who knows what he could possibly do, but that's not the here nor there. Um, okay. Anything else before we go on to uh, let's go to opportunities. I'll say this. TCU is the opportunity to screw someone's season up. And that's kind of what I'm looking forward to. Um, looking at the schedule, uh, TCU plays Oklahoma next. They could really screw the Sooners out of, like, contention. And they play Oklahoma State the last week of the season, um, which, which is a could be a trap game for the Cowboys. So, they, at least they have an opportunity to really just completely muddle the waters in the Big 12. Yeah, I, I think I think that's true. Um, it is uh, again. I won't I won't go further than this because I don't want to stay negative. But like, it sucks that that's the best we can hope for right now. But that is the best we can hope. But for, it right? is right. I mean, yeah. Like, I'm not trying to be negative either. I, th- I think that's that's what we kind of have to look forward to. I mean, there's a world where TCU could win out and potentially make the Big Twelve title game. I don't know that that world is one of the ones we're living in, but. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's fair. I think I think it's plausible. I think TCU matched up well with Oklahoma State. They've played them well historically. I think Gary Patterson finds a way to be disruptive against Oklahoma, and it's been a lot of years where he's been one stop short. And maybe they will have the offense enough that it won't that it won't matter um, this year. Uh, I, I think that my offensive um, kind of opportunity is Pro Wells. I think that getting him involved is only going to be a good thing. They've had. Uh, some RPOs to him that I think looked really good, found him in space. Uh, and so I think the more that he's healthy, the more he can get involved, the better. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that is really my biggest opportunity on defense. They're playing Parker Workman less. So I think defensive ends are, are going to improve a little bit just by the fact that they're playing more and kind of learning. And so Corey also, Coleman, Corey Coleman would be, would be the opportunity yeah, yeah. there. He's looked yep. really good, um, and, and I think TCU's played some of the better offensive and defensive lines that they're going to see all season already. And so, I, you know, Oklahoma notwithstanding, but but looking at the rest of these offensive line units, you're like, hmm, there might be some opportunity for some defensive line improvement just just talent wise. No, I completely agree. Um, and I, I, I so I think my defensive opportunity would be getting Travis Hodges, Tomlinson, and Owen Daniels matchup. Uh, matchups against some of the elite guys. So Charleston Rambo, uh, for example, from Oklahoma, some of the Oklahoma State wide receivers. I think just getting them reps this season um, will really, really help for next year, which 
I wrote in my column this week and I've said all along 2021 is the year. I thought that meant something different heading into the season. I think it might be kind of Armageddon going into next year now uh, for TCU, but I still think next year is the year. And so getting Daniels, uh, Hodges Tomlinson, Ardarius Washington, again, just getting him more reps, even though he's already really good. McKendrick Van Zandt back there into secondary. I think that's kind of what it's all about. It's just kind of, hey, preparing those guys for, hey, these are the elite receivers you're going to see. And then next year is, all right, it's time to nut up or shut up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, can I can I point out something that's a little bit wonkier? And I don't know how much I trust these stats, but Max Duggan, yards per attempt against man, 5.8. Max Duggan, yards per attempt against zone, 9.8. And TCU is 72nd in percent of passes versus man coverage. So I think that there is an opportunity for TCU's offense to really, really get the ball to someone like J.D. Spielman in a one-on-one situation, to Quentin Johnson in a one-on-one situation, because – TCU is performing a lot better against zone in the passing game than they are man. And so I think people will start to play man more. And hopefully the counterpunch to that is, oh, that's fine. You'd like one-on-ones. Here's a six-foot-four superhuman and a fast little shifty guy. I mean, Tay Barber had five targets last week against Kansas State. They played zone the entire time. Uh, I, I think there's ways to get those guys involved given that people have film on TCU. I think that's a, a, a great take. I completely agree. Um, Parker, define threats for me. I was not uh, in that school at TCU. What uh, Define threats. I have one written down. Neither but... was I. How dare you? Um, oh, okay. I'm a, I'm a liberal arts man. Thank you. Uh, so am I. No one believes that for a second, you journalist. Um... <laughs> liberal arts. Can, can I? <laughs> no. Yeah. We are not. I'm not standing for that. No, it's not. <laughs> Uh, can, can I? I just, I just want to offend all of our. I just want to offend all of our business list, uh, business school uh, listeners. I saw a great tweet. Sometimes on campus, you accidentally walk by a business class, and the professor is writing "profit equals revenue minus cost" on the board, and everyone is taking notes like it's actual school. Uh, I just always appreciated that tweet. So anyway, <laughs> uh, it's a degree in networking. Uh, um, yes. Uh, yeah. So I think. Uh, Threats are like things that aren't going well that may not improve, things that are going well that may get worse. Right. So, uh, again, I have what I wrote down for weaknesses, which is general A's, right? It's a sort of sense of complacency, the sort of sense of, hey, well, you know, if you look at the numbers, actually, you know, we're not to pick on you, but like, you know, oh, our success rate over expectations is actually really, really good or, you know, better than average. Or, hey, look, well, you know, our running game is not the problem. You know, it's the passing game, all that stuff. And I, I think being – complacent in that and and not seeking to improve and not seeking to maximize the talent is a real possibility and that really really worries me for this team um i don't i mean i mean this sincerely i i don't think anyone on the team wants to lose i just don't know if any of the people in charge want to do what it takes to adapt to win or if they're just being set in their ways and i think that's kind of the biggest threat I agree. I won't call out specific players, but after a, a, a play that went awry on Saturday, I saw for the first time this season a player turn and yell at another player pretty demonstrably uh, on the field. Um, and I felt like, oh man, I hope that is not the way this is going to go. I hope we're not going to turn this direction where everyone's frustrated with everyone and no one feels like they can work together and succeed. So I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I think my two threats are one, TCU's pressure rate overall is, is still top half in the FBS um, in that it, it is 33rd. And so they're and getting s- pressure or allowing it allowing, but their sack rate is like 66. So it's like, if you get pressure, you get a sack against TCU. Yeah. 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 And so I think the offensive line has played way worse than that. And it's going to continue to, I think that's a threat is that like that pressure rate's going to keep going up because we saw on Saturday what happens if, if Duggan gets hit 58 times a game, man, he can't, uh, he can't. It's, it's not good. Yeah. 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 I, I will say just not playing devil's advocate because I agree. And that's a complete threat. They have played some of the better defensive lines to play. They have, but Absolutely. yeah, they, they have, but uh, I agree. Like watching that pass blocking is uh, nerve wracking to say the least. My, my other threat is, uh, is, is finishing drives. 
Um, so TCU overall is, uh, like I think, I think I said this earlier, 65th in points per scoring opportunity. I think they have had like nine trips inside the 40 where they haven't scored a touchdown. Um, if that doesn't change, I mean, not, you're not, it's not only that you're bringing knives to a gunfight. It's like you're just laying on the ground and saying, uh, please don't shoot me. Um, mm. And so, so that really is, you know, if TCU can't figure out a way once they cross the 40 to kind of use that space differently and, and get points, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a long season. Yep. Even if they're moving it the will. ball well between the 20s, which they are doing right now. Which they're doing now, and that really is the frustrating thing to see TCU get into scoring opportunities and just completely get away from what has been working uh, near the red zone. Yeah. Um, show a complete unwillingness to, like, not take – I guess the thought is to not risk turnovers, but kind of just – they play it really, really safe, it feels like, when they get inside the 20s, and that is super frustrating. Or they run, like, weird trick plays, which I don't I, get. I noted that TCU um, – that, that like three times on Saturday when TCU punted, they had the same distance on second and third and fourth down. So they had three consecutive mm-hmm. failures and they didn't even move the ball at all, which like even if you wanted them to be more aggressive and say like, hey, we're going we're gonna to flip the field, whatever, you would think they would be thinking about four down territory or finding ways to at least pick up yards on either second or third down and then we could evaluate it, whether it was four down territory. But um, yeah, that, that, that seems to not be happening. And so that's, that's pretty frustrating as well. When, I mean, when you have a weapon like Jory Sandy, who, God, I can't believe I didn't name him uh, in strengths. You know, I understand why you want to get him out there on the field and, and, and maximize his talent. Look, man, the Ray guy looks really nice on, on the, it, in, that, in that atrium of the basketball arena. Man, it would go so well in there. It's the Ray guy and the Remington, and those are the awards we're going to win this year. Um, Parker, okay, do you have anything else to say about the Frogs? Uh, a, a million things to say, but I think on bye week, I'm content to say – <laughs> Here, th- th- this is uh, this is a point of introspection for TCU because I think we can 100% we I'm a part of the team I'm on the team uh, could 100% just say you know what this is an entirely a development year for Max Duggan we have some talent we don't have a lot of turnover this year uh, you know some defensive turnover but we're not worried about it we're not bringing in an amazing recruiting class next year but that's because we know we're just gearing up for next year with the guys we have. Um, and, and let's just, you know, see what happens this year. And if we lose, darn, we'll just do our best. I think that's a bad attitude. I think that's probably the likely attitude. And so a lot of what I'm looking at for TC this year is how can they kind of take this by week and say like, no, let's go not just ruin somebody's season, but like we can have a season. Some, a, a wise man once said, life is what happens when you're making other plans, Grant. Um, Football is what happened when you're, when you're making other plans, right? Like you can't just wait for 2021 and keep throwing away games and keep losing games. And so hopefully there's some kind of uh, introspective moment this, this uh, bye week that kind of flips the script for TCU's uh, season. And it's not a season of preparation. It's not waiting for other things to happen. It is, uh, it is in fact, a, a season that is laudable and into itself. I completely agree. And I said this on Sunday, I'm worried that TC would kind of fall into that mindset just because there are so many guys on this roster that deserve better. I mean, you think about Garrett Wallow, guys like that. You know, it just the, – the term deserve is very frustrating to me because I think it's overused a lot in, like, quote-unquote media terms. Like, oh, like, Sam Ellinger deserves to win a title. Or, like, oh, wow, like, that, that Virginia team that won the title deserved to win because they played the game the right way. Like, I think that's all kind of BS – at the same time, when it's your team, you believe it. Like, I think Marcus Page deserved to win a title for the Tar Heels and that shot he hit before Chris Jenkins hit that shot deserved to be the game winner, but it wasn't. That's how sports work. But at the end of the day, like, you still kind of have to fight for those guys, if you know what I mean, and just say, hey, listen, we might not win the Big 12 title, but Wallow deserves to get a send out. You know, Darius Davis, you know, he deserves to get a send out, stuff like that. And I think if you're not playing for a Big 12 title, play to win games for those guys. They're out there, like, busting ass and you might as well bust ass with them your teammates go win games and their fan favorites you know it's a covid year it's a weird year but that doesn't mean that you have an excuse to go out there and not win games so uh, i completely agree have you thought about the possibility that uh garrett wallow could stay for another year i have uh uh when i say my prayers every night that is included um <laughs> that would just but, be unfair that would be like you saw there's like that video going around of this like eight-year-old who's like six four playing yeah. football yeah like that's that that would just be a grown man beating up on children at that point i'm okay with it 
but uh, yeah. Right, no, I, I want it to happen, but yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Um, okay, well, Parker, if you got nothing else, I think that concludes our, uh, our bi-week episode. Yeah, I, I think the weekend highlight will look – I think we're going to skip the midweek officially this, this week uh, and do the weekend highlight and just kind of have that long form. I, I have a thing I'm going to write uh, for Friday. I assume Grant does as well. Um, but, but, but we'll have kind of the weekend highlight on Friday up there for you, uh, for all you subscribers. If you're not subscribed to the Purple Theory newsletter, I don't know what you're doing with your life at this point. Um, uh, other than that – oh, oh, do we have Twitter Q&A? Oh, we do have Twitter Q&A. We wow, Twitter good Q&A. call. Okay, we have Twitter Q&A. There are uh, two questions I really want to get to. That was um, just a fake out for all of the uh, the non-subscribers who are like, oh, I'm not listening to the sales pitch. And they're gone. Right, now yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, this is what you're missing out on. Uh, from Mason Shireen, uh, noted guest on the Purple Theory podcast. How do I cope with TCU's offensive line play? Not the team, me personally. Uh, my suggestion is Four Roses Single Batch. Uh, I'm drinking it right now. It's very delicious. Yeah, I, I, I think if you just uh, if you got up at 4.30 every morning and you journaled uh, three pages uh, just right when you got up stream of consciousness and then meditated for 15 minutes, I think you'd be fine. So that, that's my professional advice. Do you do that? No. <laughs> okay, that's what I, I was going to say. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, but I didn't think so. There was, um, a, time, there was a time in my life. That's like, that's like productivity bro one-on-one. It's like just wake up before yeah. 30, bro. Just, just do it. Yeah we just did a swap. We have no room to talk. Um, and this is a question I, did, I really did want to get to. So I'm glad you, you brought it up uh, from the tailgate tent at CFB max S of the teams that continue to upset the frogs, quote unquote, uh, is there nay similarities and where's the consistency of GP squads every year? So I think we could roll that into one question, which are, or which is what teams continue to quote unquote upset TCU and what do they have in common? And I mentioned earlier that I'm, I'm never really surprised when Kansas State and Iowa State beat Oklahoma. And I think it's kind of the same way with TCU in that it's teams that play super disciplined and don't necessarily try to play TCU's game, uh, especially on off, on offense. So when Patterson throws the 4-2-5 at you, it's, okay, great. We're still just going to do what we do and make you beat our best players. So for Iowa State, that's Charlie Kolar. For Kansas State, you know, it's Deuce Vaughn, whatever – and just say, hey, you beat our best guys, and we're going to get them open in space and make you tackle them. I, I agree. I think the cynical answer is teams that are obviously more talented than TCU. and Right, teams, but that's not an upset. You know what I mean? And, like, it's teams that – yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and teams that have TCU's playbook, like Sonny Dykes did last year, uh, which is not a not – like, that's great. He just, like, was at TCU for a year and then was like, oh, yes, we're going to go play you and beat you, and that, that I, I understand that. Um, I, I, yeah, I think the elements that you're looking for are um, offense is capable of generating big plays and defense is capable of preventing big plays, even at the expense of efficiency. So you look at like Iowa State last year, Iowa State let TCU be pretty efficient on defense, especially in the second half. Um, but they just said like, no, you're just not getting a big play. Uh, and that's kind of how Iowa State beats, beats Oklahoma, but that's also how Alex Grinch at Oklahoma beats TCU. You know, when, when, when Oklahoma doesn't have to outscore uh, TCU that, you know, they're certainly capable of, or, or Kansas state beating TCU. Um, it, it's historically been someone who is capable of generating big plays, but then on defense, more importantly, capable of preventing big plays, uh, against talent, you know, like TCU has always had the talent to, to generate big plays. I will say like, if you look at the Oklahoma state matchup, I think that that has kind of been on its head every year because team quality and big playability are, are very different, but it's like, Last year, TCU lost to Oklahoma State. There was uh, a fumble in plus territory. There were two explosive plays. And then TCU just really couldn't get that one play they needed on offense. And so I think that's really even more so than, like, the Iowa State game this year because the first game, you know, first half was Matt Downing, whatever. But, like, last year, that Oklahoma State game was, like, if you just don't beat yourself and minimize the big play damage on defense, you can beat TCU if you have an offense that's alive. And so that's kind of it is, like, that three pillars of, like, Teams that aren't turning the ball over, teams that have a dynamic athlete uh, and have watched film on the 4 5 and then teams that can prevent big play defense. So, so not that they're like a good defense that says you never move the ball against. It's just like, hey, you're not getting the 70-yard touchdown against us. That's not happening. Right. Well, and dynamic athletes like Chuba Hubbard, I mean, they really kind of turned the difference. He's, um, Chuba Hubbard's not even the best running back on his own team this year, let alone the Big 12. <laughs> so don't get, me, 
we can go down that road, but that's fair. Um, all right. That is all the Twitter questions we have. And now we can do our promo. Um, like yeah, and subscribe. subscribe, like, and subscribe to the, uh, purple theory podcast. Leave us a rating. Uh, again, we're really, really happy with the number of people listening and we only want that to grow. So, um, let us know what you think. Uh, we appreciate all feedback. Subscribe to the purple theory Substack uh, for the price of a beer, Per month, you can get me and Parker's thoughts on the TCU Horn Frogs and some of our assorted friends that join us during the week. Uh, again, we're trading out content. It is only onwards and upwards from here. And hey, even during the bye week, we are evaluating the Frogs and the Big 12 uh, because, frankly, we have nothing better to do, and we like talking to you about it. So that's why we're here. Uh, Park, or follow Parker on Twitter at StatsOWar. Follow me on Twitter at Grant McGalliard. Uh, my last name is spelled just like it sounds. And Parker, I guess I'll see you Sunday. Yeah, we're going to do something on Sunday. We'll see what it is. But yeah, we'll definitely, we'll podcast on Sunday and we'll do the weekend highlight on Friday. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss that. We'll see you all then. Go Frogs. Go Frogs. Go Frogs.